this little mini-series, Jesus is the Answer for Everything. And um, some of you are probably wondering about the, the uh, New Testament books that, that, I, that were... We finished the Old Testament and we're going to move into the New Testament. I'm, uh, I'm planning to do that not next Sunday, but start the Sunday after. Uh, this next week, uh, Karen will put out, our secretary will put out a, a reading schedule for you. And uh, given the year it is, you can pretty much guarantee that we'll go off schedule at some point. But uh, it'll give you an outline of how things are and where we're at. And uh, the reason um, we're doing that, I'm doing it that way is because I've decided to go through the books of the New Testament in the order they were written rather than the order they show up in your Bible. And so I'm going to start with Luke and then Acts to give us the overall narrative. And then uh, from there, we're going to go through uh, in a different order than they show up in your, in your printed Bibles. And so we'll give you a reading schedule so you can kind of know which, which book is coming next and in which order. And the reason for the delay is I'm putting together um, the story on our website so that you can, before you read any one of the books, you can go on our website and listen to the context in the story, the conditions in which it was the letter or or gospel was written, and I think that will bring us uh, new insights and see things in those books that maybe we didn't see before. And so uh, I thought that would be uh, good to shake it up a little bit because in the, the New Testament books we're much more familiar with than the Old Testament. And so to just take it in a different order, a little different approach, I think will bring those books uh, kind of to life for us again. But that's in a couple of weeks, and uh, we've been looking at uh, current events, some current events, And today, if we visit our little Sunday school class, it goes like this. The teacher asks, to mask or not to mask? I know, I know, pick me. Okay, Billy, Jesus. The answer is always Jesus at church. And I'm actually not going to talk specifically about masks, but that's kind of the flashpoint issue uh, with the the pandemic. Uh, I'm going to talk in more broad terms than that one specific issue. Uh, But I think... um, I think God has a message. I know he has a message for me this morning, and I think for you as well. So I want to change the word a little bit, because the biblical word is plague, not pandemic. And the biblical word, for, for the biblical word plague uh, encompasses a lot of different things. Uh, it, it includes uh, things like viruses and sicknesses that spread through human populations, but it also includes things like earthquakes and storms and natural disasters. And it includes, includes things like, uh, like infestations of insects or a cloud of locusts or something like that. And it even includes wild animals and invading foreign armies are all under this umbrella of plague in, uh, in our Bibles, in our biblical language. So I want to broaden the topic out from just the one type of plague and see a little bit what the Bible says and what Jesus specifically says about these things and uh, how we are to understand them from a biblical point of view. Before I get into the details, though, I want to show you the goalpost uh, because sometimes it, we can get uh, sidetracked in the details and forget what we're aiming at. And Jesus uh, addresses this topic quite specifically in Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to look at Matthew 24 in, in, a little bit later on, but I want to show you the goalposts that Jesus sets up for you in verse 14. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So that's, the, that's, that's where we're aiming. That's where we're heading to. And there's two points in this, in this uh, teaching or this phrase of Jesus, isn't there? The one point is enduring through the hardships, through the plagues. And the other one is that the purpose, the reason, the goal is that the good news about the kingdom will be preached and heard and hopefully accepted throughout the world. And so I want you to focus your attention and keep that good news in mind as we go through some of the bad news. Because we have good news. And the good news is this. All things that can be shaken, will be shaken. Because the desire of all nations is coming. Let us get our attention fixed on Him. Because then we need fear no bad news. Because we know everything is safe and good. Whether we die 
or whether we live, it doesn't matter. We cannot really die as long as we trust in Jesus. This is the good news about the kingdom. And that's where we're headed. That's where we need to keep our eyes focused, our priorities set on. It is indeed good news. So there's another way of looking about that. Uh, And maybe the current situation helps us to see that more clearly. You can be far too afraid of COVID. And that's one side of the aisle, one side of the argument. And there's truth in it, right? You can be far too afraid. And what you fixate your fear on is what will, will monitor or put in place the decisions and the attitudes that you have. On the other side of the aisle, you can be far too afraid of something like, you know, maybe a broad term would be government overreach. And that's something to be concerned about as well. But if you're afraid of it, you'll fix your attention and make your decisions based on that fear when the Word of God tells us there is only one thing to be afraid of, and that is the fear of the Lord. And when we become too afraid of other things, too concerned about other things, we don't seek His kingdom first anymore. We seek solutions to the things we're afraid of. But we are not to be afraid. The phrase throughout the Bible is, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, but fear the Lord. And our focus goes off. I listen to a theology uh, podcast now and then. And the, the guys in that podcast, uh, they said a phrase that caught my attention, is stuck in my memory, and I don't remember which episode, so I can't point you to it. It's a while ago now, but I've never, I didn't forget this phrase. We are not used to thinking about, thinking that God is behind the plagues and that the devil is behind our disputes. You see, when COVID hits the world, the devil rubs his hands. I have an opportunity to cause the Christians to fight among themselves about how they should respond to trivial things. And take their attention off the fear of the Lord, off the good news of the kingdom, off the message, off the goal, off the mission, and get them fighting about other things and therefore ruining their witness so no one will listen to to the good news that they have to say. But the biblical message is consistent. Plagues come from God. Plagues come from God. Fighting among God's followers comes from the devil. God's word is consistent on these matters. So what is God trying to tell us when there are plagues? Well, we can turn to begin to understand to probably the the most uh, well-known plagues in the biblical story. Who can recite to me the ten plagues of Egypt? Under Moses. I'm not going to ask you to. I've got a picture in a minute that will, uh, that will uh, highlight that to us. But let us ask, what is God trying to tell us? What has God tried to tell people in the past through plagues? So let's look at, uh, at the biblical plagues. You see, God called Moses to go to Egypt as his first and maybe his greatest prophet because of plagues. To talk about plagues. Now, if you lived in Egypt at that time and Moses was not there, you would have thought, just like we think in 2021, what a terrible year. The water goes bad. There's a bunch of frogs eating everything up and getting in everything. There's there's insects infestations. There's cattle dying. There's, There's a contagious disease of boils that goes through the population there's uh there's freaky storms and there's uh there's locusts and there's there's death and you would have thought the news would have said what is going on in the world what a crazy year i hope then i hope 2021 is better but god sent moses to tell them what was going on to interpret the plagues 
And the message was this. The message of the plagues was this. God wants to prove to Pharaoh that he's not in charge of the world. God wants to shake up the structures and the powers that be. I mean, pharaohs have been in charge of the world. They're the only civilization on earth at the time that has an extensive territory and a rule, and no one challenges them for for many, many years. So long, in fact, that not a person on earth has ever questioned the eternal truth that the pharaohs are in charge of the world. No one has ever asked that question, could somebody else be in charge of the world? Of course it's the pharaohs. They're the ones. And they thought they could manufacture their their eternal security with uh, pyramids and all kinds of things. And then God comes along and shakes their power structure to the core with plagues. And Moses says to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, this is the voice of God telling you that you're not in charge of the world. And that when God wants something else to happen than what you want to happen, you better listen. And it's also a message to God's people, the Hebrew people, the slaves in Egypt. It's it's a wake-up call to them. You are God's promised people. You have His blessing. Be bold and step out and leave Egypt. Oh, but we're too afraid of our slave masters. And God shakes them up and says, No, they're not in charge of you. I'm in charge of you. Pick up your courage and do as you're asked by God. Leave your lack of faith behind and go. And you know, when it was all said and done, Pharaoh was shook up, he was off balance. I'm sure, can you imagine the uh, parliamentary debates in Pharaoh's courts? Probably make the ones we see on the news today sound like, uh, like pie and cookies. God was shaking up the world. My salvation is coming to earth. And many Egyptians gave their wealth to the Hebrews and blessed them on their way. And many Egyptians who were not descendants of Abraham's joined them and became, by faith, descendants of Abraham's and went through the Red Sea together with God's people. The way of the prophets is always this. Read them again. We went through them the last couple of years. Read them again. The Lord is going to bring a plague of locusts, of earthquakes, of sickness, of armies, of wild animals. And what is the message the prophets bring home again and again and again? Repent of your evil ways. Turn your eyes to God. Fear only Him. You thought you had security. I'm showing you you don't unless your security is in the eternal God of the universe. Just read the prophets again. It comes, the same message, every time. Moses did not stand in front of the plagues and plead with God to stop them. He interpreted their meaning to the people. He said, God is at work. God is moving in the land. So get up and move with him. Do you remember... Some time ago, when we were going through the Minor Prophets, and I spent that one Sunday on Zechariah. Anyone remember Zechariah? In Zechariah, we have this this interesting uh, image of God sending his angels out across the earth to bring back a report. Do you remember that? They brought back this report in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 11. We have walked to and fro throughout the earth, and behold, all the earth is at rest. All the sorry, and behold, all the earth are resting. The earth is at peace. There's no wars, there's no plagues, there's no earthquakes. It's peaceful on earth. Now you and I would get that report and we'd say, that's the best report I've ever heard. 
I didn't mention it when we went through Zechariah. We can't get, dwell on every detail when we do one book every Sunday. But just a few verses later, we read God's reaction to this report. It might surprise you. God says, I am very angry that the nation, with the nations that feel secure. The report of peace across the earth made God angry. Did you expect that? I'm very angry that the nations feel secure. What is God saying? He's saying, the people don't look to me for anything. They feel like they have their future well in hand. Their savings accounts are good. Their retirement plans are secure. Their health care system is up, well funded. There's nothing to worry about. God, just stay away from me. I can handle this. But the reason God is angry is because it's not true. It's a mirage. It's an illusion. What does God see when he looks upon the earth? Something very different. He doesn't see it so nice, it's so good that everything's calm and predictable and manageable. That's a delusion. The picture that the Bible gives us is different. The Bible tells us that we, the people on earth, are exiled from God's presence because of sin. We are driven out from his life of goodness and love and blessing. We are dying, whether we know it or not. Our life is but a dust, a vapor, like a plant that grows up and is thrown into the fire the next day. In terms of eternity, our 80 years, our 120 years are but a mere breath of dust in the wind. When we think we're secure, we've lost track of the fact that we are shut out into utter darkness for all eternity if we do not turn to him. If we do not put our faith in Jesus Christ, it's the end. It's darkness. We're unsafe. We're hated. The heavenly hosts that are in all beauty and love and greatness look upon us like bandits and criminals. We have nowhere to go. That's the truth. And when God's angels bring back the report and say everything's at peace on earth, God knows nobody's thinking about the truth. They're deluded. They're not taking this seriously. They've forgotten. And what is God's solution when life is nice and all we talk about is this summer's holidays when our next game of golf might be in what's on Netflix tonight. What does God do? He tips a bowl of plague upon the earth to remind us that death is at hand. And if we don't have our eternity figured out, we're in trouble. The good news of the kingdom is what we should be focused on. Do you remember Nineveh? Remember Jonah? God gave Jonah a message. This is another story in the Bible about plagues, but this is a plague that never came. God said to Jonah, Go to Nineveh, your enemies, the people you hate, the people you want to see destroyed because they're your enemies, And tell them that I'm about to destroy them. Now you'd think that Nineveh would be ecstatic about this message. God's about to destroy my enemies. But he's not. He doesn't want to deliver the message. He runs the other way. And then there's all that bit about the storm and the fish and all that. And finally Jonah does go to Nineveh. But why does he run away? Why does he refuse or try to refuse to give the message? It's because he's a prophet of God and he knows what plagues are for. He knows their purpose. He knows that when God's about to send a plague, it's to remind the people to repent. It's because he wants to bring salvation. He wants to bring goodness and blessing upon the people, but they're not listening to him. And so he says, go to Nineveh. I want those people to know me. I want your enemies to find out about me. And Jonah doesn't want to go and say the plague is coming. I don't know what the plague was going to be. Destruction is all we know. 
Because Jonah knows if God's sending a plague to Nineveh, it means God wants to save Nineveh. That's how he speaks. That's how he gets their attention. That's how he reminds them that they're not in control of the world. That they don't know their eternal destiny. That's how he takes a secure government structure and shakes it to its foundation so that people no longer trust it. So they have to find something trustworthy. They turn to God to trust in him. The purpose of a plague is to shake us up. All of us. From the dictators who take over their countries by military rule to the ones who do it through elections to the, to the leaders of counties and provinces to the pastors and churches, anyone who tries to lead. We don't know what to do. We don't want, know what decision to make. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. It throws us off balance. We're shaken. We realize, we understand now that we don't have the future in our hands. Our best laid out plans can be turned in an instant. We need to fear the Lord. We need to turn to Him and depend on Him. God did relent. Nineveh repented. It says, down to the cattle and dogs in the street, they repented. And God relented and did not send the destruction. What do we hear in Joel? Turn, repent from your evil ways. Who knows? God may turn from his judgment and send a blessing instead. The real God of the Bible, all the way through the prophets, really from the floodwaters of Noah, all the way through to the last pages of Revelation, has a consistent message about plagues. They come from God, and their purpose is to cause people to repent. In Revelation, we have the angels with their vials, with their bowls, full of pestilence, famines, wars, earthquakes, plagues. These things are not a sign that the world is out of control. They are a sign that the world is under control. Heaven is trying to make its presence known on earth. God is about to cause trouble because the people have forgotten about him. The worst thing, you know, we get philosophical about it, right? How could a good God cause suffering on the earth? You know what would be far worse? If God just turned his back and said, I don't care if they all go to hell. I don't care anymore. I'm going to stop trying to get their attention. Would that not be worse? Wouldn't that not be far worse than a plague? We're all going to die anyways, whether there's a plague or not. But at least if there's a plague, we have a chance to wake up and fix our eyes on the good news of the kingdom so that when we die, we continue in the kingdom that we started here on earth. At least then we have a chance. But if God were to turn his back and ignore us and let us have peace and prosperity for all of the rest of the history of the earth, no one would turn to him. And heaven would be empty. But he wants to bless. He wants to save. He wants us to turn from our distractions and fix our eyes only on him. He wants us to turn from our evil ways and become godly. Depend on the Holy Spirit rather than our bank accounts for our future. That's what he wants. You know... I didn't want to preach this message. I didn't want to hear it. I prefer peace. I prefer long life and health. I hate it when my friends and family die. I hate it. 
But guess what? I've woken up to some of the things that have been distracting me from God. I've been setting my priorities in order, different than they were before. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a place in the Bible that talks about this from a different point of view. And I'm going to pause just for a minute. This is going to be a long message. It's an important one. I, I, I cut out tons. I'm not cutting out more. Ecclesiastes talks about what we're to learn from a plague from a philosophical point of view. And I'm going to pause for three minutes and 30 seconds of prayer with a song that you might not expect in church, but nevertheless, I know that this song is a, uh, it's a musical rendition of the book of Ecclesiastes. That's what it is. You see... One way to think about a plague is like a surgery. The doctor comes and there's cancer in your body and the doctor hurts you. The doctor wounds you. The doctor takes away from you some of your most precious possessions. My sister-in-law has a piece of her collarbone missing forever. She's always in pain because the doctor took it out. And yet she thanks the doctor because the doctor saved her life by hurting her. Took the cancer out. That's what I'm talking about here. God doesn't want to hurt us. God doesn't want to send a plague. But he wants to find a way to take away from us so we will voluntarily choose him over the other things. So let's pause for three minutes and 30 seconds. And I invite each of you to pray. What is God trying to tell me?
What is it that Jesus says about this? We've kind of surveyed the Old Testament. Jesus speaks directly to this issue in Matthew chapter 24. I know you can't read the words on the screen, but I just want to draw on the page a little bit and uh, outline. I'm not going to read the whole passage because it goes on for, for a long ways. I'll give that to you to read on your own. I'm going to just outline the message. Jesus begins there at the arrow this discourse about... Uh, It's labeled as the signs of the ends of the age. And the first thing that Jesus does, he goes into detail about all the things that are not the signs of the end of the age. This is what he says right there in um, in verse 4. Watch that no one deceives you. Be careful that no one deceives you about these things. And then after that opening, ver- opening word, he goes on to talk about the, the things that happen on earth that can be used as a deception. And uh, he, the reason I know that and the, way, the reason I believe that's the correct interpretation there is because if we go on to um, these verses here in verse 26 and 27, Jesus puts it, puts it this way. So if anyone tells you, here he is, Jesus is returning out in the wilderness, do not go out, or here he is in the inner room, do not believe it. If anyone tells you, Jesus is coming here, there, these are the signs, don't, don't believe that. And here's, here's his reason. He says it in verse 27. For as lightning that comes from the east is invisible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, have you ever been in your house with the curtains closed and your eyes shut when lightning strikes outside? You know it. It comes right through your eyelids. There's no mistaking it. You know the lightning struck. You feel it in the ground. And that's what Jesus is saying. When I return, there will be no mistaking it. You will know it. Nobody will miss it. It will be like lightning striking in your yard. You'll be aware. You will not be deceived or mistaken. You'll know I'm here. So then, in all of these verses in between, he's talking about the things that happen on earth that are not the signs. They're something else. He tells us what they are. We'll get to that in just a minute. But he talks about he talks about wars and rumors of wars. He talks about famines and earthquakes and says, nope, not yet. That's not it. That's not the lightning that every eye on earth will see all in the same moment. Those aren't the things. There's, he talks about persecutions and betrayals and false prophets and wickedness in the earth. And he says all these things are going to happen, but that's not the lightning. What All of these things are something else. And he tells us what they are. And we've already looked at this verse. This is the key verse for today. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When there's plagues on the earth, plagues of famine, plagues of pestilence, plagues of disease, plagues of persecution, plagues of wars and rumors of wars, all of these things, when they come... The people who keep their eyes fixed on Jesus endure all the way through. Those are the ones who will be saved. Those are the ones who will meet him with joy when he comes. And then he tells us why. He says, he says and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the world so that the, all the nations will have a chance to hear it and be blessed and forgiven and saved. Why do these things come? So that we have an opportunity to preach the kingdom of the good news. So we have a chance to get off our distraction and focus our lives together on discipling one another into the love of Jesus Christ and telling others and bringing many more into the kingdom so we can disciple them together too. That's why all these things happen. So that the kingdom of the good news will spread across the earth. And then, if we go a little bit further, here in verse 23, 
If anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. Those are false teachers. These things aren't signs. Now, he talks about the signs a little bit later on, but these things are not. These things are signs that we ought to endure through to the end. Now, if we were to turn the pages and keep reading, this is obviously a very brief summary. But if we were to turn the pages and keep reading, Jesus hits this point again and again and again with illustrations. His first illustration is the illustration of the faithful servant. And the the master goes away and gives the servants work to do. And some of the servants just neglect the work because they think the master's taking too long and the work's getting too hard and they don't endure through to the end. And when the master returns, he says, this is what my kingdom is like. It's like the ones who kept doing the work all the way through even when it got hard. And then when the master returns like lightning and every eye shall see and every knee shall bend, they're still faithful. They endured through the plagues. They kept focused on the kingdom, on the mission, on the goalposts. And then he goes on another illustration. He talks about the ten virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom to come. And he praises the ones who had the foresight to have extra oil so that their lamps were ready. The other ones felt the hardship of sleepiness and of of lamps burning out, and they just let it go. They said, oh, it's okay to be distracted. The bridegroom's taken an awful long time. And when he came, they missed it. Don't you wish he'd woke them up before? Shook them up a little? But the ones who had enough oil and persevered through all the way through to the end, they were the ones who went in to the banquet with the bridegroom. They endured through the hardship. They kept their focus. And then his next illustration illustrates exactly the same thing again. This is the parable of the talents. And the master gives each of his servants a little bit of money, some talents. And, and he says, and, and then he goes away and then he says, I'll come back. And when I come back, I'll want a report of what I, you've, I, you've done with the talents I've given you. And some of them work hard and invest and keep working at it. And one of them just buries it in the ground and says, I know my master is a hard judge. At least I can give him back what he gave me. Didn't endure through. And when the master returns, he condemns the one who did nothing with what was given to him. And he praises the ones that continued to work with what they had. And then the final one, the harsh one, the sheep and the goats. And Jesus says, yes, you will endure hardship. There will be pestilence. There will be disease. There will be wars. There will be persecutions. But the ones who like sheep follow the shepherd through. They get to be with the shepherd through eternity. But the ones who are like goats going to and fro and being distracted by this and that and the other thing. They don't get to come in. What does Jesus say? Those who endure through to the end. So let's picture. Let's picture this, or try to picture this from from God's point of view. What would God do if he wanted to send a blessing? If his desire, you have the perfect trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in perfect, beautiful, glorious, loving relationship throughout all eternity past and all eternity future. And you have the glory of the angels standing around him singing, Holy, 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 and preparing mansions and blessings and fruit and gardens for God's people in a new heaven and a new earth. And God says to his angels, I'd like to send a blessing. Go down on the earth and find those who I may bless. And the angels ask, well, how will we identify the ones 
who you will bless. And Jesus speaks up. And he says the familiar words. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And the angels go upon the earth and they come back in the report. Even in the church, Evangelical Free Church in Wainwright, we can only find proud people. No people who are free of spirit, poor of spirit. What do you think might, God might do if he wanted to send a blessing? And Jesus says again, well, if you can't find any who, who I could bless because they are poor of spirit, I say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And the angels go upon the earth and look here and there, and they, they come back and they report, we cannot find anyone mourning. They're all partying. And Jesus says, well, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And the angels go out and only find those who are bullying one another. And then Jesus said, well, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And the angels go out and they come back and they report, we, everyone on earth is overeating on guilty pleasures. They're not seeking righteousness. And Jesus says, well, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And the angels come back and say, we can only find people seeking revenge. We can find no one merciful. And then Jesus says, blessed are the poor, pure in heart, for they will see God. And the report comes back, everyone's heart is twisted among many priorities. There's no one purely focused on you and your kingdom. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. But everyone was fighting. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because the world was at peace and everyone had safety and comfort, the angels could only find those who were compromised rather than persecuted. And Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. But everyone was quite happy to have their rewards on earth. What do you think God would do to change the situation so he could find people to bless? How do you think he could cause people to be poor in spirit? How do you think he could cause people to mourn, to be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful, to have a pure heart only for God, to be peacemakers, to count it a compliment when they're persecuted? Perhaps he would send the plague. Perhaps he would. Not because he's mean and wants to punish, because, but because he's searching for those he might bless. Perhaps if we repent and turn from our evil ways, perhaps he will turn and send instead a blessing. Even now, declares the Lord. Jesus said, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it. You know, I stand here in conflict because the tradition in the Bible Belt of, of Evangelical Alberta at the end of a message on repentance is to have an altar call. But if I called you forward to pray and hug and cry, and we could all be fined $1,000 each. Our church could be shut down forever. Well, what do I do? I feel unsettled. I feel shaken up. That's not a problem. That is a feature. That is the purpose of pandemics, of plagues, to shake us up. So we lose track of our own wisdom and say, God, I need your wisdom. 
I don't know what to do on earth. It's a feature. It's an expected and desired outcome that governments and leaders and people and, and uh, health care systems would be shaken up in order that God's people might repent and fix their eyes only on him. And those who don't know him would seek him. So, I think it goes this way. I think God has appointed a fast upon the land. I think God has said to us, it's always been my will that children take responsibility for discipling, or sorry, that parents take responsibility for discipling their own children. But I look down and I see parents with their feet up and saying, well, I've sent them to Sunday school, I've sent them to youth group, my job's done. Maybe if that was the situation, he'd just take those things away to remind us. Maybe God looks down and he sees all these people and, and they, they have, okay, I've got this, this religious duty and if I just, okay, I check, check, I've gone to church three Sundays, I've given my 10%, now I can just take the last Sunday to go golfing and I don't have to worry about the fact that my neighbor doesn't have enough food because I gave an offering at the church. Maybe God would take away church, take away offering plates so that we would seek him and repent. Maybe if God sees churches that are putting all their trust in their intelligent programming and budgeting and balanced books and have stopped relying on the Holy Spirit to minister to one another, Maybe he'd take those things away and say, I've appointed a fast. I've appointed a time of deprivation. I've appointed a time of covering ourselves up from one another and looking inside at what's really there. I've appointed a time where I'm taking things away in order that we would focus on the one true thing that truly matters. kicking out the bottom of our retirement funds, reminding us that we cannot buy heaven. And so that's how I close this service. Not with an altar call, but a call to prayer and fasting. The fast has already been determined. Many things have been taken from you. It's been enforced. Go home. Use the time. You don't have hockey. You don't have parties. We didn't have Christmas. We don't have potlucks. It's all been taken away. Maybe it's God taking it away so that we'd spend some time looking inside at the condition of our hearts and consider whether or not we truly do seek first his kingdom. Maybe it's his appointed fast. So rather than an altar call, I'm giving you a go-home call. Open your Bible to Matthew 24, where I've been reading. Matthew 5, where the Beatitudes are. What is God trying to tell you? Because his message with the pandemic, with the plague, has always been consistent. I'm going to shake up the things you've put your trust in so that instead you would put your trust in me. It's consistent throughout God's word that this is the message. So let us put our trust in him. I don't know, Lori, if you want to close in prayer after that, but I'll do it. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, it's a hard message. We don't, we don't ever pray for hardship. We shouldn't. But when you and your wisdom put it upon us, may we listen. 
instead of standing up proud in defiance against you, may we bend our knees and ask, God, what are you trying to teach us today? Today in this world, it's, it's, such, a, it's such a merciful plague. It kills hardly anyone, and yet it has disrupted the whole earth. It has shaken up our governments and our authority structures, the things we put our trust in. And yet most people survive it. It seems to me only your hand could do such a thing. So we do pray for your mercy. We do pray that it would end. We don't wish suffering on ourselves or anyone, but you do have a message for us. Maybe it's maybe it's time that we speak to every person we know about the good news of the kingdom. We trust that you've woken people up, people that were unwilling to hear before. So we've stopped trying. Maybe it's time for us to take on persecution and ridicule because of the message we bring. Maybe it's time to confess our sins, the ways in which we have convinced ourselves that it's okay, rationalized. We've moved the goalposts to full benches instead of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's different for each one. God, what are you trying to tell us today? I pray, God, that your people would indeed turn to you with full, all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our souls. It brings me to fear to think what kind of plague you might send next if we don't listen to this one. You are the gracious God, never turning your back on your people, but always finding ways to remind us again and again of your love, of the blessing you wish to give to those who turn to you and endure through the hardship. I pray, God, that we would be among those who receive that reward. Amen.